If you want to get situated with your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you get all in place, I'd just like to take a moment to share with you about the two ministries that the Lord has opened a wonderful door for. As our brother mentioned, Nancy has a ministry, an email ministry called Manna in the Morning. And this started when she was having one of the ladies' Bible studies, and one of the sisters said, I'm going through some difficult times. Would you send me a verse? So she sent her a verse came back the next week for the study, and she thanked Nancy for the verse she sent her, and all the other ladies said, we didn't get one. And so uh, they, they asked that they would get a verse, and it, it started just like that, and that was about eight years ago, and so she sends out a Bible verse, and just the briefest comment that just expands the verse a bit to start the day out right, called manna in the morning. There's a, a sample of what she has, Verses that just remind us of God's faithfulness through his word and the promises that we have in him. And especially here we are, Easter time, and we have the reminder through uh, email or just from the scripture. So I set a couple of sign-up sheets at the front table. You can sign up for manna in the morning. just requires your name and an email. And it's free, of course, but you'll receive it every morning. So make sure you take a moment and sign up for manna in the morning. Best time to do that is today. I was asked by Everyday Publications to prepare a devotional book for our African brethren, and I was glad to do it. They wanted something in Swahili and just a daily devotion. I looked on Google and there are about a thousand different daily devotionals, but not in Swahili, of course. And then the brethren said, if you're going to do it in Swahili, would you do it in English as well? And we spoke as we meet with our African brethren via Zoom. It's amazing the technology and how the Lord uses it today. But every month we have a meeting, a Zoom meeting with the African leadership in the Congo. And they said, you know what we could really use are short video clips. And uh, I wanted just to share a couple of these with you. They have to be two minutes long. I won't play the whole thing for you. But uh, these short video clips can go via WhatsApp on cell phones. You know, when we were there, you could only use shortwave radio. Within the country borders, now the world is opening up and the message of the gospel is going forth. So here's a little sample, and James is going to start it up for us, and you'll see just a little bit of African music starting it up, and he'll give us a sample in English just a few seconds into it, and I'll cut him off in just a moment. Greetings, beloved. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, all things were made through him. And I believe and that's far him, enough. You get the idea. So within two months, we have a devotional that goes right along there. And now in Swahili, the very same message, but in a different language. And I think we might have a Swahili speaker or two here. But you'll get the idea. Kulisha Kondol Zangu is the name of this one. Jamu Wandugu Wapensi. Yoani Moja, Manani Natisa in Asema. All right. Thank you so much, James. 
So now these videos are going out once a week. We've done this over a year now. This, we're on 60, number 63 now, going through the Gospel of John, a verse or two at a time. And we are hearing back, it's just astounding, very humbling, but from all over Africa, Europe, the Philippines, believe it or not, even to Australia, as well as here in North America and down in the Caribbean. And some of these videos are crisscrossing each other, like we said, we'll send it to South Africa, and they found out that we have it in Swahili. Well, they don't speak Swahili in South Africa, but there's a man who does speak Swahili in South Africa, and he gets it in Swahili and sends it back up to the Congo. And so it's just crisscrossing everywhere. And so we've heard from about 12 different countries, and uh, they're excited about it, and they're distributing. One man down in southern Congo, he said, every week when I get this video, I send it to 417 people. And uh, that's the way it's being propagated, and it's been a great blessing to us, and we just give all glory to the Lord. If you're interested, I know you may not want the Swahili version, but if you're interested in receiving the English version, there's a sign-up sheet there called Feed My Sheep, and that's what we seek to do as we get the Word of God out. Thank you for putting up with the free advertising. Now, here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, and just a very briefest review, this entire chapter is given to the theme of the resurrection. And we started last night, and we continue in the proofs of the resurrection. Then we're going to see tonight also the process of the resurrection, and tomorrow night in the will of the Lord, and with his help, the power of the resurrection. And just realize that as we started out with the word in the gospel last night, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel being declared in the first part, and the gospel being delivered as Paul received it from the Lord, he delivered it to them, and we've received it as well, and then demonstrated in the lives of those who have trusted the Savior. Those six witnesses that are mentioned, and this seven what-ifs list that we flew through in the last two minutes of the message last night, and we come to this one conjunction. It starts in verse 20. Please look with me in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But now, and when God intercepts and interrupts with a glorious conjunction as this, if there's no resurrection, he says, But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Verse 24, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put his enemies, that's all his enemies, under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. 
now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Continuing in verse 29, right through verse 34, we read, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead, if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, in the manner of men, I have fought with beast at Ephesus, what advantage is that to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This one grand conjunction intercepts and makes a difference in every area that we've just read, beginning there in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And you see a contrast from one verse to the next. You'll notice in verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 says, by man came death, that's through Adam, and it spread to the entire human race. But by Christ came life, and it is available to the entire human race, to whosoever believes. Death and life, darkness and night, it's as different as night and day, isn't it? And we see the difference because God has intercepted and pointed out the contrast that only he can bring together. Not only death and life through Adam and Christ, but in verse 23, the order of the resurrection is also a place where God intercepts and makes a distinction. But, verse 23 starts, each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. And by his glorious resurrection, we know that he has planted good seed. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. As Christ was raised, we are going to be raised as well. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow evening. But here's the big difference. Not only do we see the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are raised as well. When is that going to happen? When the Lord appears and calls us out of this world. All those making up the body of Christ will go to meet the Lord in the air. And not only that, even toward the end, we see that he takes all those who belong to him and he brings it up to an end, as verse 24 tells us. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. I just want to remind you, here's the great contrast. We live in a world where men think they are in control. Even we as individuals sometimes think that we're in control. But God and he's going to step into this world one more time, and he's going to show the difference. Huh? You think just back in 2020 when COVID started, God with an invisible microbe, a germ, changed the whole world in just a moment. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ steps back into this world scene. It's going to change everything, all because of this glorious conjunction. But now Christ is risen from the dead. As he continues on, he is going to put down all enemies, death as well. He's going to take all things and put them under his feet, and God will be over all. I shared in a conference in Zaire a number of years ago, that's the Congo as we call it now, and the building was packed out, about 400 people in a building smaller than this, about a third of the size. The windows were open, not glass windows, just openings, and they were filled with faces. They took any of the chairs that they had out and everybody was sitting on the floor to save room. When I got up to speak, I had to step between people's feet in order to make it up. And while I was speaking, happened to be on the theme of the Lord conquering Satan, I heard some thunder and being in the rainforest, that wasn't a surprise, but the sun was shining. I mentioned something about the devil a little bit later and I heard more thunder and that time I saw people's knees moving up and down. A third time it happened and after the meeting I had to ask the elders there, I said, I noticed people stomping their feet whenever I mentioned the devil. I said, what's that all about? He said, we're just practicing. Not only is everything going to be put under his feet, but he is going to crush Satan under the feet of the saints. Can you imagine that? Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Under our feet. You see, the victory that's his, won't they be amazed when they see us? We're going to be reigning with Christ. A great evangelist down in the Bahamas, Mr. Tom Roberts, they call him the Billy Graham of the Bahamas. He's a big man. And he said, I know there won't be time when the Lord raptures the church. But he said, when he calls us and we go to meet him in the air and we pass through the domain of the prince and the power of the air, he said, I just want to take my big foot and say, you brute, take that. We're just practicing. One day everything's going to be under his feet and we can hardly wait. And the world is going to hear that great conjunction, but God. Verses 29 through 32 give us three final questions to ask concerning those who say, there's no resurrection of the body or from the dead. And so the very first of these three questions, you'll see it right there in verse 29. Otherwise, and you see how Paul is given to reason as the Spirit of God leads, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? Now, there is a lot of confusion on what he's talking about. Go for the simple line, please. Baptism was a picture of our identification represented in the Lord Jesus Christ, that when we are baptized, as Christ died, we died. As he was buried, we were buried in a watery grave. And as he was raised, we also were raised to walk in the newness of life. Now, it happens before baptism. If you're baptized before you're saved, you just come up a wet sinner. But if you know the Lord is your Savior, 
It's the next step for every true believer to follow the Lord in baptism. A number of years ago, a family at the assembly, still somewhat visiting, mentioned to me on the way out the door, they said, we'd like to have our boys baptized and make it a total family baptism. I said, well, I'd like to come by as the elders. We come over and visit with you, make sure everybody knows the Lord. The one young man, he has Down syndrome. He's the friendliest young man in the whole assembly. <laughs> and so talking with one of the sons, he established clearly that he knew the Lord as a savior. The mother, the father, the same way. And then Morgan. I said, Morgan, I have a question for you. And he came over and sat beside me and snuggled up. <laughs> I said, Morgan, what do you know about the Lord Jesus? And he said, he's in my heart. I said, I don't think I have any more questions for you. <laughs> he has a wonderful walk with the Lord. He's an inspiration to all of us. And so we arranged the baptism. At the baptism, I asked his father, I said, uh, I said, why don't you go before anybody else? You be baptized first and stay down in the water with me so Morgan can come down and he'll be comfortable. So the father was baptized. Morgan came down and I said, Morgan, we usually ask if you know the Lord is your personal savior, but I thought with Morgan, I would, I would ask the same question. I said, Morgan, where's the Lord Jesus? You know what I was going for? He said, he's up in heaven. You know, only a man like that can understand that the same Lord that's up in heaven can also be dwelling in our hearts by faith. And I said, where else is he? He said, he's in my heart. And I said, well, I believe so too. And that's why I'm going to baptize you. And Morgan said, no way, no way. I said, yeah, Morgan, just like we talked. He said, no way, I'll do it myself. And he went down and he went back up. I didn't have time to say Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. And the whole congregation broke out in applause. The, from tears to applause, there was more water in the congregation than there was in the baptistry. But he didn't stay down in the water. He came back up. If there's no resurrection, Paul says, why are they baptized for the dead? In other words, as he died, we died. As he was buried, we're buried. If it stops there, we're in trouble. You've got to bring them back up. And as Christ was raised from the dead, that's what baptism represents. No wonder Paul went with the logical direction and said, why baptize? Are you baptizing for the dead? In other words, you're just going down into death and that's where it ends? And you look in the next question, verses 30 and 31, he says, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? In other words, here we are putting our life on the line, fighting wild beasts at Ephesus. And what a battle he had there. I'm glad he had the spiritual armor on at, at Ephesus, aren't you? No wonder he developed it there. He was fighting some battles. Why fight the battles? Why risk your lives? Every follower of the Lord Jesus, follow them through the book of Acts. They stood for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection. Even though when Paul announced it at Mars Hill, they said, what is this babbler trying to say? 
and they mocked, as I mentioned last night. But also is coming. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection, where's our boast? We've been boasting in you about this and taking risk. And then verse 32, here's the third question. Why baptize? Why, baptize? why boast? Why bother? Why not just eat and drink? For tomorrow we die. That's a strangely familiar phrase, isn't it? Except a little different. They left off a line. Let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, yes, we'll eat and we'll drink, but we can never be merry again. We're of all men the most pitiable. What's the whole point? If this is all there is, and Paul says, but Christ is raised from the dead. In verses 33 and 34, he gives us two exhortations. What are we going to do about all this? And in verse 33, he says, don't you be deceived. And he makes the statement, bad company corrupts good morals, or evil company corrupts good habits. That's what we usually tell our sons and daughters as they go out into the world. But that's not what he's talking about here, even though that's true. The principle is there. But he's talking about false teachers and those who are distorting the truth concerning the resurrection of the body through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, you watch out, take this to heart, and be careful not to be led astray by the false teachers that are out there. It's one of the signs of the end times, isn't it, for us today? As there were false prophets in the old, there'll be false teachers in the new. And so he warns about that with this exhortation. This second exhortation is in verse 34, and he says, it's time to wake up. I think we need some waking up, don't you? that we might be watching and waiting for the Lord to come and live our lives in light of his coming. For here he says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. It's time to be done with lesser things, isn't it? And to place our life in his hands, at his feet, under his feet, if you would. But isn't it nice? The enemies are under his feet, but we are at his feet. And then he gives a, a, a word that is a solemn word. He said, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The world is a mission field. And we may not go across the sea, but we could go across the street. If the Lord is coming, and we know he is, the only time we have to reach out to somebody with the gospel could be right now. Why not? Let these two exhortations stir our hearts to say, keep ourselves close to him. Now, I don't believe in isolation, but we believe in insulation. We live in a world where extremists go into isolation away from all kinds of different gatherings. You and I, we're not called to be isolationists, but insulated from the things of the world, set apart by God unto righteousness and reaching out, as Jude says, saving some, plucking them as brands from the fire, despising the filthy garment. We live in a world that needs saving. 
the people that are outside of Christ, that seem to be anti-everything to do with the Lord, they're not the enemy. They're the captives. And many times the captives, they seem like the enemy, but they're not the enemy. We need to pluck them from the burning as it is. He said, I speak this to your shame. Give us hearts to reach out to the lost in these last days. And so we see the very proofs of his resurrection, all these listed. Now we come to the next section, beginning in verse 35. I'm going to read through verse 49 and ask that you just follow right along with me. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through 49. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. Verse 39, all flesh, is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is, the, is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first. That's surprising, isn't it? But the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also we are, so also are those who are made of dust. And all as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the, the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. It's a wonderful portion of scripture. And I know that as we work through it, the Lord's going to just show us a certain order that will help us to understand as it's presented in the word of God. The very first thing we see has to do with two questions that are asked in verse 35. Notice those two questions again. Some say, how are the dead raised? In other words, how is it possible that the dead are raised? And the second question, what kind of body do they come? And as you look at those two questions, you see, first of all, established in verse 36, the necessity 
of the process of the resurrection. God has put all things in order, and he's going to give us a full expression of the order that God has put in place so that we understand that everything works with a wonderful order because God is not the author of confusion, but he's the God of order, all things done decently and in order to the glory of God. And you see in every different area of life and creation, everything is perfectly balanced. Well, that evolution's great stuff, isn't it? No, <laughs> an impossibility. When you see order, you see one who is controlling. When you see design, you see a master designer behind it all. And when you see a creation that is so perfectly balanced that a tiny microbe can throw things out of place, you realize that God is the one who is the creator, the designer, the one of order. So you have the necessity of this process and that question, it is the answer to the question, how is it possible or how are the dead raised? I like the way the Apostle Paul answered. I don't know if they appreciated it, but in verse 36, <laughs> foolish one. Come on, Paul, don't mince words. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> what a foolish thing to say. I had some problem with my right shoe, the soul, that's not spelled S-O-U-L, S-O-L-E, the sole of my right shoe. I got a hole in it right at the front on the left side. I took it to the shoe repairman. His English was a bit broken, but he knew how to fix shoes. A little bit later, I took him another pair of shoes, same kind of hole, same kind of place, and he says, how do you do that? And I didn't know the answer to his question. I just thought it was a freak thing that both shoes wore out under my right big toe. And then I found out how it happened. When I was visiting with my favorite Bible teacher, Dr. David Gooding, and he was asking me some questions to see what I didn't know. And I realized I was driving my right toe down into my shoe. I still do, I'm doing it right now. And I can just hear, as the Apostle Paul says, you foolish ones. I was telling David and Marcia last night on the way home, I asked Dr. Gooding, explain to me how you go about studying. And he laid out some things for me about the writing style of Luke, the, the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And when he made a statement, I said, oh, well, he didn't know he was doing that, did he? <laughs> of course he knew he was doing that, he said. I quit asking any questions or making any comments. <laughs> it's better just to listen. When someone like the Apostle Paul says, foolish ones, he gets our attention, doesn't he? I'm glad he was talking to the Corinthians and not to us. I mean, we would never say anything foolish like that, would we? He says, foolish ones. And notice what he continues with. Right there in verse 36, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And he's appealing to the principle of God's wonderful order, this cycle of life. Yes, it's a fallen world, but it still is amazingly beautiful, isn't it? Flying up, I noticed the colors change in the landscape. I mean, 
I left in Fahrenheit-wise. We were 86 degrees and the flowers are all blossoming. We're sneezing our heads off from all the pollen that's floating in the air. And I come up here and not much color yet, except white snow. And I was pretty excited to see that from the plane as well. And yet we know that as dead as everything looks, what's going to happen? First the blade, then the head, then the flower. Life is going to come, don't take this personal, out of your dead appearing landscape. <laughs> and if you don't believe it, let me back up to verse 36. Foolish one, we've seen it year after year, summer and winter and springtime and harvest. They will not cease because God has put them in order. Don't you love it? God is the God of order, and everything continues as it always has. It's no wonder that when Paul stood before the powers at Caesarea Maritime, he could appeal to King Agrippa, and he could say, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? He should know of the resurrection. Not only that, but the Lord Jesus himself said, unless a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit out of just a tiny seed. And in the process, the necessity of the process. Now, it's not just in one area. Let's continue on. The second question that was asked is with what body or what kind of body do they come? Verses 37 through 50, or through 49, answers that question for us. And you'll notice beginning in verse 37, Paul starts to lay out this order by showing, are you ready for this? Similarity and differences. Similarities and difference. You know, it's similar, but different. <laughs> you know, it's different, but similar. And everything, can, you can track it just right along. He's going to look into three different areas, and we'll start as he uses the plant illustration. After the plant illustration, he's going to go to the planetarium, or the planetary illustration, until finally comes right down to the physical body illustration. And all three are going to show the wonders of God. I hope you're not over the wonder of it all. Have you looked at the, at the sky lately? And the beauty of the clouds? And the stars at night? And the bright orange moon just the other night? Take the time to look. We don't have to be children to enjoy these things. Give us a childlike faith to say, God put them all in place. And so he deals with the plant life. And you'll notice, as he deals with the plant life, in verses 37 and 38, he talks about the differences. In verse 37, he said, And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. I'm thinking of another plant or fruit, if you don't mind. That's a little bit more impressive than just wheat growing wheat. I'm thinking the fact that if you want watermelons, you plant this tiny little seed. <laughs> And you get this huge watermelon with all kinds of seeds in it. You don't plant the watermelon, you plant the seed. And when you plant the seed, unlike the melon, 
you get watermelon and you save the seeds and plant them again. Don't swallow those seeds, boys and girls, huh? God, I mean, who would have thought that he could put such a size of a watermelon in a tiny little seed? <laughs> or the mustard seed, by example, in the scriptures. God is an amazing God, and we marvel at his creation. And so he says in verse 38, very clearly, notice it please, God gives it a body as he pleases. And what a variety there is. I mean, just think about all the vegetables and all the beauty that you see. When you see a beautiful flower, as someone has said, you're looking at what God was thinking when he created it. And, I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it? Not only that, but you'll also notice it's distinguishable because to each seed, it has its own particular body. You can look at a seed and identify it, and you can know what kind of fruit or plant is going to come from it. Because God has made every seed in Genesis chapter 1 after its kind, the God of order again. He goes from the, I'm going to skip verse 39 for just a moment. He goes from the plant illustration, and you'll notice he goes to the planetary illustration. And in the planetary illustration, he talks about celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. And so looking at the earth as the terrestrial body and the sun and the moon and the stars as the celestial bodies, he shows the difference there. He said, even among the celestial bodies, there's a difference of one glory to another, that the sun has the brightness. I was sitting there in the sun while our brother Mark was speaking. I'm thinking I might have got some sunburn. Talk about a bright light. And when Mark turned toward us, all I could see was a halo around him. Happy birthday, brother. <laughs> it is amazing, the brightness, the glory of the sun, but the glory of the moon. He's just sharing the brightness of the sun by reflecting. It's exactly what we should be. We should be reflecting the light of the Son of God. He's the light of the world. We are lights in the world, and we reflect it to the darkness of this earth. I tell you, only God could have put things in place as he has. And not only that, the stars. When you read the details of some of the stars, I mean, I remember when they told us that there are billions of stars out in space, and then they sent up the Hubble telescope. I was out in California and talked with some of the people from the, uh, the um, jet propulsion lab, and I met the gentleman that was part of the Hubble telescope project. You may remember millions, maybe billions of dollars to put this telescope up in space. And the first pictures they sent back were a blur. I met the man who tweaked the controls and brought it into clarity. And you know what they found out? That those billions of stars out in space were not stars at all. There were billions of galaxies, each one having billions of stars. And some of the stars, the size that if you could open it up and hollow it out on the inside, you could put our entire solar system into it, close it back, and it would move without any obstruction whatsoever. <laughs> God is the God of wonders, whether it's the plant life that is amazing, or whether it's the planets that we st stare and gaze at and just marvel at the creation and the power of God through the heavens. And then he compares it to the terrestrial. I met a man in the assembly in Atlanta, Georgia, and he had his delta 
shirt on, the Delta Airlines shirt. I said, oh, you're a pilot. He said, no. He said, I'm, I'm scared of flying. <laughs> he said, I'm a mechanic. He said, I like to keep my feet on terra firma. He said, the more firma, the less terra. <laughs> Is that the way we feel? We like those terrestrial bodies that God has made even in a fallen state. We live in a beautiful planet called Earth. And God, just a speck in all of the universe, even in all of our galaxy, just a speck. What is man? Because if the earth is a speck and we on the earth are nothing but a speck, what is man that he remembers us? God is a God that's full of compassion and loves us with an everlasting love. And so he gives us the planetary differences, but the similarities, verses 40 and 41, they have bodies and they have glory, even though they differ one from another. There may be some understanding for believers. We are like the lights that shine. We're differing as well. Let's shine brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the darker this world becomes, the easier it is to shine for him. Reflect his light. Just stand and take in his light through his word, and you'll reflect to the dark world. And on the darkest night, even a dim light looks bright. And the darker this world becomes, shine brightly for him. And then we see some of the physical differences. In this illustration, similarities and differences. We go back to verse 39 that I skipped over, and he gives us four different categories of flesh. He said... All flesh is not the same flesh, and I'm glad for that when I see the list here. Men, yes, but another flesh of animals, and that is quite different. Another flesh of fish, and then another flesh of birds. All creatures, great and small, <laughs> our God is the one who made them all. And as different as they may be, there are similarities of God's creation of life in the animal kingdom, in the kingdom under the sea, have you looked under the sea before? I mean, the, the colors that some people never see in their entire lifetime are so brilliant. And I think, why would God put all this beauty down there? For his glory. And the same with the bird and the kingdom that flies through the air as well as those who swim in the sea. All have the same kind of body, but a different kind of flesh. From those differences, we see the similarities as well. But notice this in verse 42, please. He gives us a progression here. And in verse 42, he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. He's getting to his point. And with these three illustrations, the third one, he says, the body is sown in corruption. They used to say you go downhill at 30, but actually it's the very first day, <laughs> and it's downhill all the way. We're born into a body that is passing away. The body is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. Think of it. Not only that, but it is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. It has sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. And we'll pause right there for a moment. 
And you and I, we know the experience. This world is passing away. And everything in it, in fact, I looked in the mirror this morning, I found out I was passing away. Things are changing, aren't they? But the best is yet to come. This corruption will put off corruption and will put on incorruption. And this mortal will put off mortality and put on immortality. I went for my wellness exam the other day. Do you have wellness exams here? They changed all the names down in the US. The nurse checked my height. She said, well, Mr. Trogdon, you're 5'7". I said, I am not. I'm 5'7 and a half and I always claim to be 5'8". Well, she said, as you get older, you start shrinking. I said, you think I'm going to pay you for this? <laughs> and then I told her, I said, I know what the problem is. She thought I meant her instrumentation. I said, it's gravity. Gravity, I tell you. I said, you know the root word for gravity that's pulling us down? It's going to take us eventually to the grave. Hmm? This corruption. That's where we're going to end up if the Lord be not come, and we'll see that he is coming tomorrow afternoon. Well, I, I, don't repeat me on that. He's coming tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> we'll look at it tomorrow evening. But you see that everything is changing, and there's a corruption. That's the differences from one to the next. But the similarity Beginning in verse 45, notice it with me, please. I should finish verse 44. He says, it is sown a natural body, it has raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I just have to tell you, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. The little bit that's been revealed to us by the Spirit thrills our hearts and, and gives us a tiptoe anticipation and expectation of what God is going to do. C.S. Lewis said, if you could see me two seconds after I die, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship me now. The best is yet to come. How's he going to do all this? Well, let me tell you what his order is. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. What a difference. The first man, a living being. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And he breathes the breath of life to us spiritually. Not only that, but look, if you will, in verse 46. And here's the surprise. Don't get thrown off. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. And we say, Lord, that doesn't make sense. No, this is God's order. He created everything as it is, and in its time, he makes all things beautiful. Notice that the natural is first, and you can track the pattern through the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. Cain was the firstborn. Was he natural or spiritual? is a natural man, but Abel, the second born, he was a spiritual man. It's the law or the principle of the first and the second. When Noah was in the ark, he wanted to test the water, so he sent out the first bird, a 
a raven. An unclean bird never came back. He was just living off the floating corpse of death from the aftermath of the flood. So he sent out another bird, number two, the second, a dove. And he came back with an olive branch of peace, a natural and a spiritual. You don't look like you're convinced yet. Abraham, his first son was Ishmael. His second son was Isaac. One was of the bondwoman under the law. The other was of the free woman by God's wonderful grace. It's not the first, it's the second. And after Esau, the firstborn, and Jacob, Esau was a man of the world. And Jacob, though conniving as he was, he was after God's heart, wasn't he? And he had a heart for God. A broken hip, yes, but a heart for God. Zerah and Perez and Saul and David. Do you see the principle? He's always going for the second. The first Adam and the second Adam are the last Adam. The first man and the second man. Look what we have in verses 47 and 48, because there he brings it all together. He said, the first man was of the earth. That's Adam. A man made of dust, like you and me. The second man is the Lord from heaven, the heavenly man. We have a man in the glory right now, don't we? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 48, here we go. Here's our association. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. We're just like Adam. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. We put our trust in Christ, and now we're made in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the image of God, we've all fallen, haven't we? And broken the mold that God gave, and yet bearing the image of God. So Christ comes made and found in the appearance as a man. Why? To redeem us from our fallen situation and state, that he might make us and conform us to his own blessed image, as verse 49 concludes. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall also we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. One day, 1 John tells us, it's not yet appeared what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and the very sight will change us forever. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 speaks about our citizenship being in heaven. As we wait for the Savior, who will transform these lowly bodies and make us like unto his glorious body when he comes again. And he has the power to do it. Every time I get on an airplane, I pray as we're taking off, Lord, lift us up in your power and set us down in your tender mercies. Especially since they started charging for baggage, everybody carries all their carry-ons and that gets pretty heavy. We had a full flight coming up here. I really prayed it. <laughs> Lord, lift us up in your power. Set us down in your tender mercies. You think God's got enough power to change our bodies? 
The Corinthians weren't too sure. What kind of body do they come back with? Oh, we've not seen it yet. But when we do, we're going to praise the God of wonders who has made us, even in these frail bodies of dust, but has conformed us now when we bear the image of our heavenly Savior, the heavenly man, the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord stir our hearts as we just consider these things and as we close in a word of prayer. I believe that's everything. Yes, it is. The process of the resurrection. Now you got all the answers you need right from the word. There's more to say, though, isn't there? So we'll come back together again tomorrow night with the Lord's help. And we'll look once again in this great resurrection chapter. Shall we pray? Our Father, we want to thank you for the blessed hope that is ours that he who is coming will indeed come and will not tarry. We wait and we watch for him. We long, Father, to see the promises that you have given us in your word all fulfilled for your glory and honor. And we pray that just the thoughts of your plans for the future would thrill our hearts and give us the right perspective of living now, even in these houses of clay, until we leave them all behind and are clothed with a brand new glorified body that is fit for all eternity to spend with you. We thank you, Father, for blessings that are all ours with 10,000 besides. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a good night's rest, bring us back together to our respective assembly gatherings tomorrow morning, and then in the will that you have for us, that we would gather again to finish out the conference together. We thank you, Father, for the celebration of our risen Savior in his precious name. Amen.